Good morning. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Site on Suitability podcast with your host, Elizabeth Camo, and co-host, Daryl, Sean, Michelle Garfinkel. Today, we wanted to resume, finally, our conversation about remorse. I think what I'll do is, if I can remember, I will jump back into this law review article that has sat on my desk since we talked last. I don't remember where I left off. To be honest, uh, maybe Sh- maybe Daryl remembers. He has a really good memory. I recall you. You were reading to us uh, the definition of remorse from the perspective of from the law perspective, and then we gave our definition of remorse from the clinical perspective and how we took it in our in our recovery classes. One of the things I wanted to address now that you're reminding me on that thank you very much. I about the you're right not to speak about the, the crime and you do have that right but sometimes these rights are in a vacuum right because uh how are how are the commissioners going to really know and assess your remorse for any of your conduct and how are they going to assess whether or not you understand the causative factors now i'm not talking about someone who is innocent has maintained innocence i'm talking about you've done the crime and you're just don't want to talk about it because it's your right. That's not going to help you for them to figure out whether you're remorseful and whether or not you understand causative factors, character defects, coping strategies for the particular aspect of the harm. And that's one of the things that the commissioners had revealed to the person writing this law review article. And remorse is actually a factor of suitability versus sometimes we think about insight, lack of insight, factor of unsuitability, but remorse being an aspect of insight is actually affirmatively black and white provided in Title 15 as a factor of suitability. You know, the obvious stuff they talked about, blaming victims, relying too heavily on, you know, your contributing factors and causative factors to to talk about the crime. So the law talks about, you know, what, how, how do you demonstrate remorse by showing that you understand the nature and magnitude of your actions, whatever they may be at the time of the crime. And so that is really important. And one of the things that my clients sometimes, I really emphasize this, then they start talking about what happened on the day of the life crime. And we start literally from, you know, three days before uh, this happened and that happened and my parents, you know, I'm my childhood and, and I never in in three minutes, I still don't know what happened to the victim on the day of my life crime. And that's really important because you'll get some of these commissioners that will say, you know, you had nothing but excuses and you talked all the way around it and we had to pull teeth to get out what actually happened to the victim on the day of the life crime. So it's really important. I may have mentioned this before, but what happened is different than the why it happened. So I really encourage my clients to get right to the point. Character defects, you know, why did you, you know, what happened to the victim on the day of the life crime? And then the why as well in terms of remorse, because you don't want to seem like you're blaming, well, she, you know, she looked at me wrong or she did this or she pushed me first or whatever it happens to be. You want to avoid that 
and you really want to get straight to the character defects and then you could unpack <laughs> it from there and a client actually taught me that he he by asking me that question said how should I really approach that because if I say you know what are the causative factors and mom did this and mom did that and mom was a bad mom and dad was a bad bad dad we're still really not and that's probably true and they probably would have been more successful without it but we really want I tell my clients I really want to give a good answer which is something that can't really shut you down on or criticize you for because why did this crime happen? Because I was a violent, angry gang member. That's going to open the door for you. Then you put it right out there in front. That shows you're remorseful. That shows the impact um, or the, the nature and magnitude. And then they can go, well, why were you a violent, angry gang member? Now they've opened the door for you. Now you can give all those things that sometimes you'll get criticized for being excuse making or blaming or deflecting or all that stuff. If you if you lead from mom was bad, dad was bad, it can get some of these deputy commissioners can really dig a hole for you and you don't see it coming. So I don't know. That was sort of a random thing that might open it up for conversation from the group. And I'll start with Daryl as I always do. Maybe jump in later and uh, go for it, Daryl. Uh, again, good morning, everyone, um, our listeners, family members. Um, I just want to say this, and this is really big because Sean and I have really been trying to formulate a plan to talk to family members as well as people who are incarcerated about remorse and the necessity of actually showing that both insight and remorse coincide. I was denied a number of times parole because I lacked both remorse and insight, although I said I was sorry. And like you just said, Elizabeth, they want to know what were you, what was I apologizing for? What was I sorry for? Don't tell me about my childhood and how I was felt abandoned and they what were, who was I at that time and what did I do? So um, I we learned, you know, and Sean and I did many many hours of reflection that our life was out of control. You know that we thought we were very courageous, big people, we were weak, that we were really living a, a life of a coward. Um, we were afraid to ask for help and we agreed about this. And then we became even more cowardly the day that we committed our, the commission of our crime, um, which led to, to, to a fatal, to fatalities, I should say. So um, being remorseful is really embracing the distressful, agonizing feelings that arise as a consequence of the actions that we've caused looking at the ripple effects, which most people don't think about because we only think about ourselves and the victim. We don't think about the family being impacted, society being impacted, children being impacted. So remorse, it, you have to really dig deep and you also have to look at yourself to say, what am I remorseful for? First and foremost, this is who I became. Not just the action, because that was the end of it. But I had to have remorse for having the character defects and the cause of the factors that developed within me and not asking for help. When I was just talking with Sean about this a couple of days ago, we were talking about you know, the things that we went through, how we developed this remorse. And the biggest thing is being honest. Set, take the mask off, as Sean always said, and reflect on who the person is behind the mask. The one that when, the mail, when you don't get mail in there, when you don't get a car for your birthday or for some holiday, how you feel, that's the real you. So then you have to start digging deep into take those layers down, dig deep and find out who was the real person. Um, 
And again, insight, being able to explain exactly why your crime took place, um, being able to explain who you were at the moment. And then, as you said, Elizabeth, they're, they're going to ask you, well, how did I become this person? How did I become that person? Then I can, we can explain more about it. But remorse is the reality that I never stopped having remorse for the crime that I committed. I took a life, unjustified, in cold blood. Um, I had no regard for authority. I had no regard for the family. I had no regard for anything other than my self-gratification. And I used the fact that I was 17 years old for so long. And even to today, the court was justified. Well, I was, he was only 17. His, his mind was not fully adjusted. It was not fully grown. He couldn't, didn't understand the ramifications of life. However, I became a bad person because I made bad choices. And I made bad choices because I was around bad people. And, and, and I needed to become, uh, I needed to accept the responsibility. I needed to change my whole approach and look at the arrows of my life because I was an insecure person, immature. I was angry. I was resentful towards parents. I was rebellious towards authority. I was a gang member. I mean, you know, all these things played a factor in my crime. And I had to individually, step by step, understand them, identify them, create coping skills, just so I could actually be remorseful. I had to embrace it. Sean? Man, you hit it all. I, I didn't even cover it, but I wanted to hit something that Elizabeth said. Because I remember when we were formerly incarcerated that um, it was some paper going around, like a legal paper that was saying that, you know, you have the right not to speak during your board. And so I remember some guys going around telling, you know, some individuals, especially a part of my group, and I was getting kind of frustrated. So I needed to address it. So I addressed it in the group that, yes, you have a right not to speak. It's your board, but it's the same thing as a trial, right? When you're going through trial, you have a right not to get on the stand, but you want your jury to hear you, right? And the same thing with the board. You want the board to hear what you have to say. And so, like Elizabeth said, if you don't speak, right, about what you went through, why you committed the crime, what's your causative factors, your uh, 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 external, internal triggers, right? Then if I'm sitting, and so I use an example, if you were sitting in their position, right, and a murderer or a rapist or, or whatever came before you, would you let them out to your family? Let's be honest. You know, we can hate the police and all them and be mad at them because they did our homeboys and people we know wrong. But the reality is, is that they have a big responsibility, right? And they took a big risk on me and Daryl and everybody else that they let out, right? And so they need to know that you are ready, that you have the mindset to come out in society and be a productive citizen. And so if I, and I told them if I was sitting in the seat and even me not sitting in the seat, there's some guys in this room that I would never let out of prison. Still. That's why I'm not a commissioner, still, <laughs> right? So let's be honest. Because there's some guys in there that hasn't changed. And, 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 and my whole group was like, whoa, really? Like, really? Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. I'm, I'm telling you, there's some people in this room right now that I would not let out of prison. And I'm not saying that I'm better than y'all and I deserve to get out because I don't deserve to get out. None of us in here deserves to get out. But what you were saying, Elizabeth, it is important that you speak and tell the board about 
what you was going through at that time, right? Open up the door with, like Elizabeth said, I was a, I, I was a gang member with no remorse. I didn't care about life, which is what I said. And this is how I became like that. So that way I didn't blame nothing on my stepdad. My stepdad was abusive to me and my mother, beat us two or three times a week, right? And so I seen my older brothers, seen what they were doing. I went to get in the gang just to protect me and my mother, but not realizing that what the gang holds and their, their belief system and everything that was going on, I ended up getting entrapped in that, that mindset and that belief system. And I just went on. Now, there's no excuse for me, as I told the board, because my mother raised me differently. She gave me opportunities. I made a conscious decision to stay with the gangs instead of going what I had planned to go in with the gangs, right? But I was too young, too small. My mind wasn't fully developed, but there's no excuse. I still made a decision to do what I did, right? I don't blame my stepdad. I don't blame anybody in my family. I don't blame the so-called homies from the neighborhood. I don't blame that. Because I, at any time, because I got family members, I got friends who walked away from the gang, right? Who chose not when we rolled up on cats, we, you know what I'm saying, with our guns and we was finna lay them down and it was their turn to shoot. They was like, man, I can't do it. And we talked bad about them, right? Like, no, you better get some heart. You ain't gonna be a part of this. Me, I didn't want that. You know, as Daryl's story is, you know, his homeboy's threatening. Don't you never do that ever again, but we're gonna get you, right? And that was some of the things that we did, but still I got some people who did not do it, regardless of the fact. So I made a conscious decision to be a part of that because I had low self-esteem and, and no, no, you know, no daddy involved, you know. And so these older men, these older guys that we call big homies, was like father figures. And we looked up to them and we wanted to impress them. We wanted to make them to feel good. And then when they pat us on the back, yeah, Daryl, yeah, Sean, you know, y'all did good. That's what I'm talking about, them my boys, right? It felt good. Even though I was getting that from my mother, but on a different aspect, right? But I didn't see it that way because my mind was undeveloped and I was just looking towards this man figure and that's what I wanted. But I, I recommend, do not go to the board and say that, you know, whatever your amendment is and I don't want to speak and all that because you're not going to get a date. I wouldn't give you a day, period. If you're not going to tell me what was going on with your life and, and what was happening at the time of the crime and before the crime, you're not going to tell me what your internal or external triggers, why should I let you out? Because all that tells me is that you really don't know you. That's what that tells me. You don't know you, so you're coming up in here and you're trying to use the law against me, right? And so I'm not gonna let you out. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give you a 15 year to now, a long time to think about it. Really, let, right? Sean, let me let me let me let me get in a little bit. Um, because you're, you're you're hitting you're 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 nailing the you're hitting the nail and it's just drilling in. Um, I, I want to ask something because we, we were remorseful for the crime that we committed. You're remorseful for a lot of the decisions that you made, but you and I know we have to become remorseful for becoming selfish. Yeah. I had to learn to become remorseful for being self-centered, for being immature when I have the opportunity to mature. But the biggest thing for me is I had to learn to show remorse 
for detaching myself from my emotions. Ooh. And because I and I tried to avoid the feelings of insecurity and inadequacies by joining the gang and pleasing people. But then the one of the last things I had to do was say, you know what? I have to have remorse for one of the to please people. Because the seeking to please people is what made me do the things that I did. So it's not yeah. just the crime in itself. And Elizabeth, Michelle, we have to become remorseful for the person that we allow ourselves to become based upon our new beliefs and our thought process. Yes. I agree. Michelle, Elizabeth? I want to add with that with what you just said about being remorseful about the person you became. One thing I work on with my clients, especially clients in any kind of recovery, you're doing a 12-step program. One of the questions I always ask them is, have you made a list of everybody you harmed? And who's on your list? Because they'll ask you that in the hearing. And 99.9% .9 of the time, everybody that's on that list is people from the commitment offense that they're in prison for. And then I have to explain to my clients that the 12 steps are for your entire life, not your life crime. So that list of who you harmed includes little Johnny down the street when you were seven, who you took his bike and threw a rock at him. And that's why it's a process. You know, there's a difference between being responsible and being accountable. And you have yeah. to know the difference and you have to be both because you can feel guilty for what you did, but until you feel shame for it, you're not gonna change. And there's a difference because guilt is, you know, you did something wrong. The shame is that you are wrong. And you Absolutely. have to know the difference and you have to work on everything, not just why you're in prison now. Like, three strikers a lot of times they get upset because they've done time for their prior crimes and that's very true they've been punished and unfortunately we had that law it's unfortunate they not, most of the three strikers never got any kind of treatment or help they most were on drugs and most just got thrown away like garbage I and mean, i have clients that have never physically harmed a soul like broke into empty buildings type of burglaries and got a hundred to life and that's really difficult. And those are the guys that sometimes don't do as much soul searching and work because they didn't kill anybody. They didn't rape anybody. And they have to really dig deep to try to figure out, well, where does my, where is my remorse? What am I remorseful for? And that again is making another list. I'm very big on my clients doing worksheets and journaling and that type of stuff because you have to figure out how you became that person. How did you even start using drugs in the beginning if that's what it was? How did you tell yourself it was okay to violate somebody's home? And then do you understand what that violation does to a person, sometimes for a lifetime, even if they weren't physically harmed? And it's not really until then that you can feel the guilt and the responsibility and turn it into accountability and shame in order to understand where the factors are that cause the behavior to fix them. And until you can identify where it all came from and find a way to fix it through programs, through book reports, you can do it on your own. There's, a, there's, a, there's something out there for every positive factor. And until you can learn about it and show them that you've changed yourself, you'll never convince them that it won't happen again because you don't know it won't happen again. You know, guys can stay sober for 30 years in prison without ever going to a meeting and think they're okay and get out and relapse. There is a small percentage of people that can quit cold. I know a gentleman that was in the service. He's never been to prison, but he was a severe alcoholic. He quit cold about, I think it's, it's been almost 50 years now, and he was able to do it. 
but the majority of people cannot do it without help. He had Absolutely. to do it because it was going to kill it. So that was a motivating factor. So you really just have to dig deep way back and you have to, everything you do that you're working on with yourself is not just for the commitment offense, the life crime, whatever you're there for. It's for your entire life. That's why we preach about the relapse prevention plans are not for the board. They're for you to take home and keep working on them and keep working on them and keep adding to them because they're for your life, not your life crime. And I, I love the way you said, because um, I know a lot of three strikers in there, right? And so um, I was locked up with the first three striker in the state of California who just stole something and he got a lot of time, right? Yep. And so it, it would be hard, right, to say, well, I just, I, I stole a bicycle or I broke into a house just to stay warm. Right. Or you ate a grape in the grocery store. That's right. right. Uh, so, right. Yes. Right. And so I used to tell them, me and Daryl, we would tell them, don't focus on that right now. Focus on what made you to where, what made, what got you to the point that you think it was okay to go into the grocery store and just eat yep. a piece of grape? What got How did you, you give yourself that? permission? How did you give right. yourself permission? Exactly. Right. And then that will open up the door for what you did. Yeah, you broke into the house so you can sleep and be warm, right? But how you know when nobody house? Okay, you know the house is vacant, but still, I'm an owner of my house. I come to my house or I send my, my wife or my kids to the house to check the house out, right? And I walk in there and there's a stranger in there, right? Everybody is built differently, right? And that's something that we need to understand. So everybody deals with traumatic situations differently than how we would deal with it. So that can be very traumatic. Walking in the house, there's a person living in the house, scared the crap out of you. Now you're scared. So now when I go, I send Michelle to the house, Michelle's like, come on, Sean, I need you to go with me. Now to the other people, like, why? That person ain't in the house no more, but that experience scared the crap out of you. And you're like, I'm not going through that no more because in your mind, you're saying, what if he would have jumped up and killed me or raped me? You, you, you don't know. And so the mind goes into a whole nother place. And so that's beautiful with the three strike thing, because there's a lot of people in three strikes that didn't commit violent crimes and stuff like that. That's just, you know, stealing. But stealing still traumatizes people. Just like if I go in the store and I steal out of a store, right? That person that owns the store, it might not traumatize him, but you are affecting him financially because he's paying for that product, right? And, and so your little steal of a bag of chips or some canned goods, that, okay, that's one thing. But imagine 100 people, 200 people, 300 people went in out of a week and stole. He's going to feel that effect. And so are his customers because he's going to raise his prices to make up for his <laughs> loss. So now you've hurt your entire community. Exactly. The ripple, the ripple effect. Additionally, yep. exactly. A lot of, and, and again, because remember, our listeners are not just people who whose family members were committed for murder. Our, mm -hmm. our listeners are people who also family members are three strikers. And what I learned also, yeah. uh, I do want to address this. Thank both of you for mentioning this because the crime was not as quote unquote severe, 
we tend to minimize our yes. role and in in, yes. in the responsibility. But Very one thing impressive. we do know is that small crimes lead to bigger crimes. And yes. if you feel that I can get away with doing small things, then eventually I may do something that can be so detrimental that people would have said we should have kept them the first time we had them. And that's why a lot of the three strikers were people who had small crimes initially, but they progressed. So the law said, hey, instead of just waiting for them to progress to being a murderer, we're going to put them away so they can have a have an impact by the murderers. You know, and it's a, and it's a double-edged sword, and I don't agree with it. I, I really don't. However, um, the law is the law. But we do have to encourage and motivate both uh, three strikers, uh, people who have two strikes, people who have time double murders, to really dig deep inside, look at the person that we became, and where did I get that permission statement? Because I remember, I know what gave me the permission statement. And then my permission statement was not even justified because I called a survivor. And I didn't need to survive. I wasn't in the jungle. I wasn't in the war. I could have went to another community. So I had to regroup and, and say, no, that wasn't even what it was. You know, my thing was I wanted to please the wrong people. I wanted to please the wrong people. And I wanted to become a part of something that was bigger than me. And I wanted to be something because, like Sean said, we had that little man's thing. You know, that little man thing was going on. You know, and that's enough right there to create a monster when you have a short man's complex. Very. <laughs> yes, indeed. Elizabeth, I was going to say something that, that Duro recapped on, but I forgot. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Dang. He just said something I was going to chime in, and now I can't remember what. <laughs> Me too, I forgot it. I was okay. like, wait a minute. <laughs> got to take notes. Got to take notes. I just wanted to also, uh, just to clarify a little bit on three strikes. So three strikers did not get 25 to life just because they took a grape in a grocery store. In general, if you did take a grape in a grocery store, that would be a misdemeanor, wouldn't qualify. But we're looking at an entirety of someone's criminal history. And so when I get a client that's saying, but, but it was just a grape, I said, well, what else happened? Well, oh yeah, as you were taking the grape, someone said, stop right there, Mr. So-and-so, and things got a little messy, perhaps, but it's very rare for someone to get 25 to life for just the grape. So if you look back on their history, it was the serious and or nonviolent felonies that created that problem in their life to begin with. And it's the revolving door and the escalation as was mentioned as well, and you have a judge gone, you know, you got three years and you got a two year and you got a five year and now you got a, a four year and it just never adds up, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. What? So I really have to protect from that next one that might escalate and that's on my shoulders now because I didn't give you, I didn't respect the public's wishes for at the time, at the time, it's no longer that, but the three strikes you're out. So it's very rare. It did happen, but it would be very rare for a judge not to strike the additional strike and maybe just land you with the two strikes or something um, and grant that Romero motion because you do just have a string of burglaries in abandoned houses. I don't I just don't want to leave the public with that misperception because we do get a lot of excuses from our clients saying, but 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 I'm a nonviolent. So yeah, that's true, but you're a revolving door that's just 
difficult for the judge to just say, okay, one more time, one more chance for you, because that next chance is going to be like Sean said, someone's in the house with a gun because they're scared or whatever happened. And that, that judge is trying to prevent that. But that was just my thing. And then I just wanted to add to um, some really great takeaways. And I'm thinking of creating a worksheet for my clients out of this law review article. And I'm happy to share it with Michelle as well when I'm done so she can give it to her clients if she's if she thinks it's any good. But um, tons of stuff in here that describe remorse. And if I'm thinking of creating like a, you know, like those domestic violence worksheets or cycle of violence worksheets or other worksheets because then you can really see that remorse isn't just like oh I feel bad for my conduct this article really tells you what the commissioners think remorse is and it's not I'm sorry it's um knowing what was in them that allowed to happen what happened and that Daryl mentioned that who how did I give myself permission? As Michelle said, how do I give myself permission to do those things? Take the grave, not report, you know, someone drops a hundred dollars from behind their pocket and they don't see it. You did, They didn't see you seeing it. You picked it up and, you know, it's all of that little stuff too. Um, and then the commissioners are saying, you, number one, you see it, you figured it out. But have you addressed it or are you continuing with your same mentality? And they really talk about if you still have criminal thinking, you're not remorseful. And so they also say, um, you know, we ask you to do something. We ask you to stay discipline free. We ask you to take self-help, but you didn't do it. You just say, oh, I don't need it or, or, you know, excuses and say, but I'm sorry. It was a long time ago. It was 25 years ago. And it was just a great. Right. So then the commissioners are going to get after you and say, remember, we're talking about the commissioner's perspective, not necessarily mine, Michelle's. Daryl and Sean have a different perspective. My, Michelle and I have a more uh, maybe softer approach, but you have to get hard on yourself um, if you're a parole candidate. But also rehearsed statements, they say. The commissioners say, do not show remorse. So if you just memorize everything two weeks before your parole hearing and then give the scripted, stilted presentation, that's not remorse. They're saying in this article, the, the, the buzzwords are not, does not show remorse. If you just look good on paper, you got everything typed up real nice. You, you had a friend do it, they fixed it up, it looks great, but you can't get behind it and really talk about it with the board, superficial. What they really want is authentic. I had a really authentic guy. He just came in because he didn't think he was getting paroled. He just was like, told everything, said everything, really had shown how they, he sat around the groups and really shared himself with the groups instead of just sitting back and collecting information and collecting chronos. He participated, he engaged with other people. He sat around the lunch table. They talked about their program. They talked about their feelings. I noticed my, one thing I'm learning is my male clients in particular have trouble really identifying and tapping into their feelings, which is really important to be able to get to authenticity and talking not like a buzzword guy with just an authentic guy. Like you, Daryl and Sean talk on this panel. It's just, this is how you talk. You talk about feelings. You talk about the stuff that goes on. You're honest. You're remorseful. 
speaking from the heart is what these commissioners are saying finally in these articles. And um, we, we hear about internalizing, 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 and internalizing takes work. It's not just something you can learn by taking the class, getting the content down, and then getting the certificate. It's something that's deeper. It's, it's like talking about things over and over and over again. And I remember doing this trial one time with a friend of mine and she was so good at it she would just look at the evidence over and over and over again and I it would she would get on the phone and we would talk 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 about the facts of that case for two years every single day we talked about the facts of the case and it worked out very well for for our client because of her insistence that we talk about it and talk about it and talk about it again and pull out the papers and pull out the police report. And, and I really think about that in terms of my client. It's not just something you can do once and then come into the board or memorize it on some cue cards. I know that you guys have some of those sometimes. It has to be a much, much more, uh, much deeper process. And that's what the commissioners are saying that they told this law review writer, we want them to really be the embodiment of that remorseful person that were on the street. They literally are different. They're not the same 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old that came to prison. And so I'll just uh, wrap it up and turn it over to anyone else that wants to chime in before we conclude. I want to add, Matt, I'll go after you, what you just expressed we are the evidence and we need to look at ourselves over and over and over and ask ourselves, what do I feel? And I learned to identify what I was feeling. I wrote it down. I looked at it after denying it so many times, but then started investigating into those feelings to where I became a person again, because I gave myself permission not to be human by doing acts that humans are not supposed to do. And Sean, we, I mean, we talked about it. I know you want to say something, but I just want to say, you really do have to look at yourself as the evidence. You are the evidence. Identify, investigate, and find out who and what you are so that you can articulate to the people how you really feel. And remorse is going to come right out. It's going to come right from your heart. It doesn't have to be written down or scripted and they will see who you really are, either remorseful or not remorseful. Sean, wrapping it up. Yes, because uh, I remember what I was going to say. I don't know if Michelle remember what she was going to say. But <laughs> progressing, you was talking about, girl, you was talking about progressing, right? And so that was some of the things that I talked about in my board, right? And so I started off small. So I remember as a kid, me and my little brother used to go in the store. We used to steal little beef jerkies. We had this little beef jerky fantasy, right? We steal beef jerkies. Then we went from beef jerkies to stealing skateboards to bicycles to cars and then a life see how that progressed right that's and so that's how i was able to explain to the board on how i took the life i progressed and so we think that just stealing little small things is okay right but the more i got away with it the more confident i got and so i went bigger and then went a little more higher and then to where I just thought I can just take a life and it would be okay. And I'd get away with it, but I didn't, right? 
-hmm. And so that's very important during what you said. It's about, you know, progressing when you're committing crimes, right? Because everybody starts off small. You know, very few starts off just automatically robbing a bank. Mostly it's, you know, still in the store, you know, still in little things here and there, right? And that's how you progress. Uh, feelings. Elizabeth spoke about feelings about the male in there. Well, let's keep it honest, right? We men, we have a problem with expressing our feelings, right? But most importantly is that we have a problem with expressing our feelings when we get incarcerated because the, 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 the world in there, the culture in there is not to express feelings because if you express feelings, it shows the signs of weakness and people will prey on you, right? <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm saying that what me and Duro realize is that it's okay to express your feelings, right? But we had to remove ourselves from the people that we were associating with. And even when we did talk to them and we expressed our feelings, they really felt us because it came from here. It came from the heart. And so I tell all the men that's incarcerated and the family members, tell your loved ones, it's okay to express your feelings. It doesn't make you less than a man. Matter of fact, it makes you a human. It makes you a bigger man to be able to express your feelings. And women love that, right? Whoever you're in a, in a type of relationship, they love for a man to express no, honesty, right? They love for a man to express their feelings. They don't want a hard dude all the time, right? Your family, you don't have to be hard all the time. But I understand the culture in prison that we got to be hard all the time. But when you go before these people, before the board, right, you need to be able to express your feelings. Trust me, it's okay. And it takes a thousand pounds off you when you start expressing your true feelings. It takes the weight off you. It's like carrying a backpack full of rocks, climbing up to one of the most highest mountains in the world. That stuff gets heavy, right? And then when you take that backpack off, you like, Damn, I should have did this 20 years ago, right? So yes, express your feelings. It's okay. Doesn't make you less than a man. I understand. But I also want to you know there's some people that you, you can't express your feelings around in prison. Girl, you know that, right? Absolutely. That's okay. Absolutely. So be smart about who you express your feelings around. But when you go before the board and you're around a, your support net group, right? Express your feelings when you're in front of the group, whether you're facilitating, you're not facilitating, right? The privacy in there, the manhood in there, the womanhood in there, express your feelings. Thank you. Michelle. Thank you much. Well said. Thank Very you. well said. I agree. And I did remember what I was going to say because Sean was talking about second strikers and all of that. And I wanted just to point out that all of this work that our clients are doing to get out. And again, not all of them are lifers. Some of them have determinant sentences. The other thing is you're not only preparing to leave prison. The whole reason that you're going to change your full self is so you also never come back. Because when you do get out after you determinant sentence, you might come back for life if you do the next wrong thing that's violent or tough. So once you fully change and you keep checking yourself and keeping your relapse plans updated, that also prevents you from ever coming back. Because even when you discharge from parole, you can still come back to prison for a very lengthy time based on your past. And so you want to be changed so that you're safe forever. You get to go home and stay home. Thank you. Yes. yes. Thank you. And that's the truth.
Excellent, Michelle. Excellent, excellent. It's so yeah. great to see all of you. And so. I will see you hopefully all Me next too. week. What's our topic next week? Next week, we're going into character defense. Lovely. Yes.